0: Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. Here's a change of schedule. Beginning September 9th until October 14th, we will be meeting at 8.30 a.m., 9.45 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 12.45 p.m. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. So let's pray. Lord, what we're asking for is uh, that you would continue to do the thing that only you can do. That you would work in our hearts. That you would give us your, your wisdom and your insight. That you would stir our hearts so that we would know what you would have us to do in all of life. We want, Lord, to be in your perfect will each and every day as a church, as a church family, and as individuals. We want to be in your perfect will. And so we pray that you would give us ears so that we might hear the promptings of your spirit. We pray for your guidance as we continue um, on the road toward this exciting initiative. And I pray that you would raise up the people, Lord, to both serve and to give as only you can do. We ask, Lord, that you would meet us here this morning in a special way, doing a work in our hearts through the power of your spirit and the insight of your word. We're asking, Lord, uh, that you would transform us and make us more and more after the image of Jesus just for being here this morning. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, quite possibly the most Morbid travel luggage ever, your own coffin. Can you imagine that? In a book, uh, All In, by Mark Batterson, he tells the story of a century ago of the what a group of brave souls called one-way missionaries. So they would pick an area of the world that was unreached with the good news of Jesus. They would buy a one-way ticket. And they would pack their few earthly belongings into their own coffin. And that would be how they traveled to their new destination. And as they got on the boat and they waved to their loved ones, they knew that most all of them would never return. And their hope was that when they would die in the mission field, that, God, that, the, that the people there would put them in a box and send them back to their families. Pretty crazy. One of these guys, A.W. Milne, Milne, he was uh, to set sail for the South Pacific, which he did. But he knew full well that the tribe that he was going to were a tribe of headhunters who had martyred every other missionary that had visited their tribe up until then. Good plan, (laughs) short mission. And yet, it ended up not being a short mission at all. He broke in relationally and ministered to the tribe for 35 years, loving them, teaching them telling, them, telling them about Jesus. He so impacted the village that when he died, rather than bury him on the outside of their village, as would have been their custom, they buried him right in the middle of town and on The tombstone they inscribed, when he came, there was no light, and when he left, there was no darkness. When did we get the idea that the Christian life was supposed to be free of risk? When did that creep into the psyche of American Christianity? And how did we get lulled into this complacency? When did we start playing it safe? I mean, does God really want us circling the wagons while the culture around us crumbles? Does he want us holding down the fort while our neighbors go to hell? I mean, did Jesus go to the cross and then resurrect from the dead in order to make us comfortable? That was the goal? That was the plan? Mark Batterson, he said, it's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. I couldn't agree more. Have you ever asked yourself in those contemplative moments, is this all there is? Have you sort of slipped into a boring version of Christianity? You know, you became a Christian. You're attending church. You're singing some songs. Maybe you'll get a bagel and you'll, you'll chuckle a little bit if the pastor could land a good joke. You know, it's a little spiritual pump up so you can make it through your week. Does it ever feel like there's a, a pillow being held over your spiritual vitality as you sense that you're slowly suffocating under your own apathy or monotony. When did we get the idea that the Christian life was all about us? Maybe you're, you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. That's great you also get a sense of this. I know you do. I've been there. I've spoken to many of you. It's a nagging sense inside your soul that there has to be more than getting up, going to work, coming home, watching TV late into the night. There has to be more than working for the weekends and then on the weekends worrying about work. If you are a person who's ever had that sense, you know you're longing for something different, something more. And if you're a Christian here, it is time for you to find your God-given calling. Because the church isn't about you and what you need and what you get out of it. The church is you. You're actually the church. And you, like me, and we, together, the church, have been told to go. Richard Stearns of World Vision fame, he says, Our Christian faith is not just a way to find forgiveness of sin in order to enter eternal life, yet it is that. It's not just a system of right beliefs about ultimate truths and the order of things, though it is that. Nor is it just a way to find God's comfort in times of trouble or a helpful code of conduct for how to live a good and productive life, though it is those things too. Fundamentally, the Christian faith is a call to leave everything else behind, follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and join in the great mission of Christ in our world. It is a call to forsake all else and follow him. Only then will we become completed people, people living according to God's deepest purpose for our lives. This morning, I want to take us on a super quick survey of the Bible to help us uncover what God designed each of us for. Now, usually I like to take a single passage and kind of drill down deep into it. But this morning, what we're going to do is kind of skim across the surface of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, taking a look at God's plan for our lives. So we're going to start at the very, very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. If you could open up in a Bible to Genesis chapter 1, it's super easy to find. It'll be page 1 because it's the very beginning of the Bible. So you can use the Bible in the seats that are kind of spread out on, uh, around the seats uh, in the room here, or you can open up in an app. But this is the very first chapter of the Bible and we already see it. You know how a movie will often lead with like this big opening scene and then it cuts and it like gives you the backstory. It kind of fills, it, fills in the backstory in kind of like an intriguing way. That's actually what God does here in Genesis. Hollywood stole that from God. I'm just saying. But he starts the, the, the narrative of the Bible like this, 127. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, check this out. These are the first words that God speaks to humanity in the narrative. It's most likely not the first words he spoke. When you read into the rest of Genesis, you see that there were probably other things he had already said to them. But in the retelling of it, they front load this. It's as if God wanted us to say, all right, what's the single most important thing we need to know about the creation of humanity? And he front loads this. And he says, you got to go into the whole of the earth and fill the earth. With what? With the image of God. Remember, humanity had been stamped with the image of God. We were created in God's image, and now his image was supposed to spread over the whole of the earth. So wherever humanity went, we would see the beauty and the splendor and the love and the mercy of God covering the whole of the planet. That was God's original design for us. Humanity, of course, refused. For chapter after chapter, we see our rebellion and our resistance, and our refusal. Then, a few chapters later, we see this. Now the whole world, this is in Genesis 11, I'll put it on the screen. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. They found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said, come, let us make bricks. Let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. This thing is known as the Tower of Babel. This is so, so imagine this. Just a few chapters earlier, God had said, I want you to go and fill the earth. By chapter 11, they'd said, no, I think we'll stay put. I think we'll gather all of us up. We'll stay in one, one plane and we'll build one city and we'll build a tower that reaches to the heavens to make a name for God? No, to make a name for ourselves flat out refused to do what God said. God said, go, and they said, no. I think we'll stay put. So God comes down. He interrupts their grand plans. He confuses the languages, and he scatters them over the face of the earth, like he had originally told them to do. But now they're divided. Every tribe, every tongue, and the nations were created and represented here at Babel. That's the way the Bible paints it. Now the nations are born. But of course, most of the people, even after that judgment, continued to rebel against God. So God comes up with another plan. He introduces us to a single person, Abram, and he says to this guy, Go. Go, and in the place of humanity that was supposed to, I am going to establish you as an example of what they were all supposed to do in the world. Genesis 12, 1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abram, go and be a blessing to the nations, the newly created nations, Abram. You're going to bless them all. Do you know how many of us would benefit if we simply just applied this one thing to our lives? If we just decided that every single day that we would be a blessing to the people of the world, it would, it would already categorically change the way we lived. It would immediately infuse a sense of meaning and significance and purpose. Now, of course, there's so much more for us as followers of Jesus. But this could be for anyone. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, this would give you a taste of what you were meant for. And it would resonate in a deep place in your soul because it's actually how you were designed. We're not supposed to be running through this life trying to figure out who can die with the most toys. You would find meaning and significance right out of the gate. Later on, God's still in the sending business. He sends Aaron to Moses. He sends Moses to Pharaoh, Exodus chapter 3. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh. He sends the Israelites into the wilderness. He sends the people that he loves into life-threatening and dangerous situations to help his people. I mean think about the judges. He sent the judges to war in judges 6:14. The Lord turned to Gideon and he said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of her enemy's hands. Am I not sending you? I'm telling you, you will find this theme throughout the whole of the Bible. God sends his prophets, the messengers, to face their own people at great risk. Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. God said, go. Or consider Jeremiah. But the Lord said to Jeremiah, Do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. He's saying, listen, you can't let your age disqualify you. Don't let your fear keep you on the bench. I've sent you, now go. Go. the messengers, they heeded God's call to go, even though it cost them their livelihood and their families and their reputations. He sends them into difficult, dangerous situations. But of course, this isn't merely for ethnic Israel. Later, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, he says, in other words... It is not the children by physical descent who are God's children. But it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that makes you a child of the promise. Which means the promise from Genesis chapter 12 to be a blessing to the nations is yours. You're one of Abraham's children. The Bible says that we've been grafted into the vine of Israel. We're Abraham's children. So wait, that promise in Abraham, in Genesis 12 is ours. Now it fills out the picture for us. We're children of Adam and Eve, which means we're sent to fill the earth with the image of God. You're Abraham's children, which means you're sent to be a blessing to the nations. You're his messengers sent by God into a dangerous and costly mission so that lost people will find God. Now, if you go to the end of the Bible, there's this great scene. It's a prophetic moment for the future. And gathered up in heaven is this giant multitude of people. It's the book of Revelation, and here's how it's described. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. Wait, what is this? This is, this is the reversal of Babel. It's the regathering of the nations, Instead of being scattered over the face of the earth from within every tribe and every tongue and every nation that we saw created in Genesis 11 all the way to the end of the Bible, they are all together across all socioeconomic and racial barriers and linguistic barriers broken down and together are worshiping God in a glorious scene in the heavens. See, this is the restoration of all things the reversal of the curse, the breakdown of the divisions of the Tower of Babel. See, God is sending us to complete this mission. So this mission, what is it? Well, the mission gets a lot more focus when Jesus comes on the scene. We're told that God actually sends Jesus to show us His love. 1 John 4.9 This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. So, wait, we, we all know God's love. God is a God of love. The scriptures tell us that God's love was best captured when he said to Jesus, Go. That's how important this sending mentality is in the scriptures. The best picture of God's love is when he told Jesus to go, to save the world, to leave the comfort and the joy of heaven. And to go, to take great risks, to experience heartache, to be betrayed, to be beaten. Whatever it takes, go. Go and tell them of my love and my forgiveness. Fight against evil, restore humanity to their glory create a holy, consecrated people who will live their lives as a sacrifice for the world. And after living this mission himself, Jesus sends us on the very same mission. John chapter 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Or consider Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and do what? You make disciples. Of who? It's the nations. The very nations we were introduced to in Genesis chapter 11. And the very nations that will be represented at the end of time in that great worship service in heaven. It's the nations. In Acts chapter 1, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Geographically expanding. So Jesus says to the Holy Spirit, Go. More sending. And he says, Go and create for me a church. Create for me a people who will complete this mission and the church's birth. And if Jesus was here today, he would be telling us, it is time for you to go, go into the Willistons, go into Nassau, go into Suffolk, go into the whole of the world and finish this mission. He's telling us to go to our families and go to your friends and go to your co-workers and your neighbors and your school, and your place of work. Go to your neighborhood, and through your hobbies, and your gym workouts, and your, your play dates, and wherever, and whatever, and whenever, go. Fill the earth with God's image. To bless and to redeem the nations. To restore creation. To help humanity stop their rebellious ways to be filled with God's presence because lost people matter to God because broken people need healing and lonely people need a community sinful people need forgiveness oppressed people they need liberation enslaved people need freedom lost people they need to be found see the church doesn't have a mission. We're not the primary thing. The mission has a church. We exist because God's mission is so foundational to who he is and to what he does. So he sends. Back in 2005, there was a small group of people that were meeting in our basement over here in Carl Place over on Morningside. We were renting an apartment over there. There was a half a dozen, a dozen of us at some point, and eventually there were 20 of us. and We had uh, felt a stirring in our hearts that there weren't enough Christ-centered gospel-teaching churches on Long Island that were effectively shining the light of Jesus into the lives of people who were far from God. We were convinced of it. And so we started Beacon for that reason. And some of us left full-time jobs that had benefits and security. I worked part-time in a warehouse delivering uh, high-end audio-visual equipment for a friend of mine. Uh, we were surviving by living off of our savings, and the plan was, when it's all gone, I guess we, we failed. <laughs> that, was, that was our well-thought-out plan. <laughs> Cheryl and I had uh, three kids all under the age of seven at the time. We didn't know where our health insurance was going to come from. We didn't know how we were going to keep our cars on the road. But, but worse than all of that is we didn't know if we could do it. We had we'd known of at least eight, ten, maybe a dozen church plants that we had heard of, some guys we actually knew who had already tried and failed. We just didn't know that we, if we could do it. Could a small group of people with extremely limited resources and no church planting experience actually helped reach Long Island for God. Many on the team, they gave endless hours and they took huge relational risks. Many putting their money where their faith was. We battled fears and insecurities and feelings of inadequacy every day. Because we understood that we were being told by Jesus to go. Do you you ever have a yearning somewhere in your soul for a deeper sense of purpose and meaning? Do you long for more significance in your Christian life? Are you frustrated that the whole of your Christian experience comes down to an hour and change on Sunday mornings? You know, maybe you read your Bible or you pray. You obviously go to church because you're, you're here. But somehow, in our affluence and in our busyness and our desire for comfort, surrounded by distractions, we continue to find life less and less meaningful. If that's you, then it's time to engage with your calling. As men and women sent by God on a mission of redemption in the world. It is time to align the whole of your life, the reason for your existence to go and to do the work of the kingdom. Your call to follow Christ, it isn't merely a call to believe the right things and to live the right way, though it is surely that. But the call of Christ is primarily the call to go. It is a call to action. To reorient the whole of your life around Christ and his plan for world redemption. It is a massive step. It is a huge sacrifice. A reorientation of everything you do and of who you are. But in alignment with how you were designed and the divine calling on your life. But for you to do it, you have to step up. You have to say yes. You have to say, here I am. Send me. And you will. You will. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and they're going to lead us in a couple of songs as we prepare our hearts to go to the Lord's table. But as they do that, I just want to pray for us. Would you stand? as we pray. Father, it's the thing that um, only you can do through the power of your spirit to awaken our hearts. Stir us, Lord, in those deeper places. Cut through the distractions and cut through all of the